Welcome to Big Martech, the show where we talk about the big ideas and the big topics in the marketing technology industry. I'm Juan. And I'm Scott. Scott, let's recap. Uh, reverse ETL, there's a new trend. There's so many moving pieces happening right now. But what are your reflections from uh, last week's episode? Yeah, wow. You know, I couldn't help but keep coming back to the thoughts here that, you know, a year ago, hardly anyone in MarTech had really heard of reverse ETL. You know, this year, okay, yeah, whole wave, lots of discussion, whether you agree with it, disagree with it. It's certainly a topic a lot of people are discussing. Um, but already, like some of the announcements you covered, uh, you know, in the update last week, where it's like, okay, well, now there are non-reverse ETL companies that are incorporating reverse ETL-like capabilities, either at the data warehouse layer or up in the app layer. And so even this thing that was like this hottest trend is now also having this fluidity, uh, you know, how these architectures might evolve. And uh, I don't know, I think this is just one example of why MarTech is such a challenging space right now, is it just, it's a moving target. Uh, what, did, what did you think? Yeah, I think that, um, that it is moving very quickly. Like 12 months ago, yeah, we weren't talking about reverse ETL. Um, but out of nowhere, we've had got these really interesting startups like High Touch Data and Census that have this conviction that, uh, yeah, you should be able to do more on the data warehouse. And it's the data warehouse in terms of like data activation using customer data is a primitive. Like it's this sort of growing trend, right? It's like the cloud all over again in terms of how um, companies are thinking about orchestrating their data or using it. Um, yeah, I actually wrote an essay, as you alluded to, Scott, about reverse ETLs. I mean, is it, it what's the changing pieces in this big landscape of customer data management? And it's not just reverse ETL, which is sort of in this picture right now. It's also, um, you know, warehouse native um, analytics platforms. I mean, Google recently acquired Looker. Um, it's a really good example here. Looker is a sort of warehouse native analytics BI tool. And Google saw that they've got Google cloud platform and said, wow, what a great opportunity for us to integrate Looker into our data, data ecosystem in a deeper way. Um, and so that's one side. The other side is you've got, of course, data activation and reverse ETL, but you also have identity solutions like DBT as well that are going and, and saying, well, yeah, you can do all of your data enrichment and identity solutions, um, right in your warehouse. I mean, um, as Snowflake had this very cheeky article. And of course, Snowflake is perhaps one of the uh, most interesting players in the data warehouse space right now. Uh, they had this cheeky article and they said, um, you know, you can go and build your own CDP in Snowflake. You don't need to buy this package software anymore. And so, I mean, the, I think part of it is why it's so fast moving is that it, I think it feels like a bit of a land grab right now. You have new startups, you have these data warehouse companies, um, you know, obviously very large companies like Google and Amazon that are seeing the opportunity to grab more data. And um, obviously marketing and advertising is a treasure trove of, of data um, and compared to other parts of your business. So that's what I'm thinking. It's very vendor driven, but I actually think there's a lot of really valuable use cases here. I think that there's some really good perspective on how much do you actually own your data as a business? But what are your thoughts on that in terms of data ownership? Well, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos famously, uh, you know, said that his philosophy, uh, you know, with Amazon was not like trying to figure out what's going to change, uh, but actually start with, well, what isn't going to change? What is going to hold true for the next decade and two decades and so on, you know? And I feel like there are two things here that aren't going to change. One is there's going to be a data warehouse layer. 
there has been for decades, there's going to be decades ahead, like people are going to want to centralize, you know, all of the data ultimately that flows into their organization. Um, the other thing that isn't going to change is the actual frontline applications uh, that engage with employees and customers, the things that are actually generating data, using data. I mean, I should say the specific apps and what they do is going to constantly change, but the layer itself isn't going to go away. You know, I think where things get challenging, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, the, just the nature of middleware, um, is between that layer that isn't going to, between those two layers that aren't going to change, there's going to be stuff in between them, but I don't know. I would be hard pressed to say like, oh yeah, there's some facet of what sits between these two things that I can say isn't going to change over the next decade. Mm, mm. Yeah. I, I think that there's like one of the drivers here, which I don't think is talked about enough is, um, this idea of data ownership. I mean, as you say, like MarTech is this kind of world of middleware, right? Like software as a service, right? So you buy software, you use it, it's a service. It's doing something for you that you cannot currently do in your business. You know, you don't have companies out there building their own marketing automation platforms because they have, they have MailChimp, they have, um, Clavio, they have, um, you know, Marketo, they've got all these marketing automation platforms. Why build your own one when you can just take this service as software and use it, right? But there's always trade-offs with that. And I think the big trend here that, yeah, is under, under talked about is using the data warehouse gives you the flexibility and the extensibility to do what you need to do that's specific to your brand. And that's why you see, I think with CDPs is that there's all these different CDPs in different verticals, right? Like you got box ever, it's an airline specific CDP. You have other CDPs like a Marsus SAP that are very geared towards um, e-commerce, right? And retail, right? And so you see that like CDPs have to sort of morph into the different use cases for different types of industries. And that's why I think the data warehouse is so powerful because it doesn't really think in those categories. It thinks, yeah, you can store your data and then you can activate it on your terms in the way that you want to do it. And so I think that sort of radical ownership over your data is one of the sort of driving trends here. How much data do you actually own? when it's all stored in middleware, I think is one of the mo most important questions, but let's dive in to a totally different topic. Uh, we are talking about MarTech in Asia. And uh, I might set us up for this conversation because I think it's a, uh, one that uh, Scott, uh, you and I both been talking about nonstop for like four weeks now, <laughs> and we're finally here. And we are very, very excited and interested in, in how, um, parts of uh, Asia, like India and Singapore and China are building all these different and very interesting marketing technologies, but we don't hear a lot about that. And so we want to shine a light on what's happening in that part of the world in terms of the region, the great entrepreneurs, the founders, the marketers that are uh, obviously building and, um, and taking a lot of these interesting companies global. But I guess where we can start is why I wrote this article. Well, uh, I obviously with what I do with MarTech Weekly and um, my other ventures, I have a number of startups that pitch me all the time. Um, I get cold emails in my inbox. Um, I get, uh, I jump on calls and learn about different marketing technologies. So I love it. But recently, almost all the different, um, interesting technologies I've been, um, sort of advising and looking at, have all been founded and continue to be headquartered out of India. Um, it's uh, a few great examples is Factors AI, fantastic B2B SaaS pl platform that uses AI to um, drive B2B analytics and attribution. They're solving an extremely hard problem. I've got incredible traction. And other platforms like Castle Data, which is 
going into reverse ETL, but with a radically different viewpoint to say, you can actually build marketing automation on top of the data warehouse. And that's what Castle Data are doing. And so, um, and not only just startup founded, um, startups founded out of India, but also Indian entrepreneurs. I mean, there's so many incredible executives now that, uh, have, that, that grew up and were born in India now living in different parts of the world. So that's where I'm thinking, like, what do you see in that space, Scott? Do you see a lot of traction? What are some of the interesting technologies out of that, uh, out of India or out of Asia that you're seeing, um, at the moment? Yeah, it's fascinating. So, uh, 100% agree with you. Uh, like I think, uh, India has become incredibly successful and not just, um, generating a, a tremendous amount of, you know, MarTech innovation, but they've been very successful at exporting. It. Um, you know, I think certainly across, uh, the U S, uh, but I also see it, uh, you know, in EMEA, you know, there are a lot of products that people adopt, uh, that are Indian, uh, from Indian companies. Uh, and what's interesting is. I suspect actually in the vast majority of cases, people don't even realize it, um, which you could take that in a couple of different ways, but I actually look at that as progress. You know, I mean, I've always kind of been in this camp that like, you know, the myth making of, you know, oh, well, if it comes out of Silicon Valley, you know, then, you know, it's like the gods themselves came down from Olympus and gave it to us. You know, <laughs> I'm much more in the camp of like, listen, there are smart people everywhere. And, you know, this sort of like more distributed uh, kind of innovation just felt like one of the benefits we would get out of a totally connected digital world. And I mm. think the success you're seeing in so many Indian MarTech companies is a testament to that's absolutely true. Mm. There's a related topic here that again, I'm curious to get your perspective on, which is, you know, MarTech coming out of China. And I'm mm. sure we'll have to talk a bit about TikTok and WeChat because these are kind of, you know, big, big deals. Um, but like in, in more of like core MarTech, the sort of stuff that we think of like, oh, well, what am I doing for my marketing automation? What is my CRM? Like, well, how am I managing social media? You know, I've had the uh, honor to uh, go and present in China a number of times and MarTech conferences have been hosted there. And I understand, sadly, after studying Chinese for like three years in college, uh, yeah, I've, I've still barely got the ability to like, you know, learn <laughs> some food. Um, but one thing that's clear is there are hundreds and hundreds of MarTech companies. It's almost like a Chinese mirror, you know, of what we think of, a, you know, the MarTech landscape, uh, you know, uh, here in the, you know, uh, outside of China. Right. And it's fascinating to me, both A, how little MarTech from the West seems to make itself into, uh, you know, the Chinese MarTech stacks, but also vice versa, how little Chinese MarTech I've seen appear anywhere outside of MarTech, but I'm curious, I mean, you, you live, uh, in this hemisphere, uh, yeah. you know, like, what are you seeing? Yeah. Well, as an Australian, I mean, we are so uh, closely linked with, um, with Southeast Asia just by proximity. Um, you know, but, uh, I mean, just circling back on India for a minute. I mean, I think one of the things that you mentioned is that there's the ability to export, um, MarTech out into the rest of the world is one of the big differentiators, uh, with India as a global superpower and China as a global, a global superpower Two radically different, obviously political environments, right. Which, which drive different types of innovation. So for example, FDI intelligence, uh, they're saying that in India alone, 44 unicorns, so billion plus valued companies were created in 2021, more than $72 billion in exits, um, which is 38 times greater than in 2020. So there are a lot of big technology companies that are being built out of India. Um, as you say, the, the Silicon Valley gods on high, right? Like 
that everything good, everything innovative has to come out of Silicon Valley. I think these stats alone completely um, changed that that whole narrative. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people um, that are moving to uh, the US to go and study in places like Stanford and Harvard and MIT, and then move back to India because um, there's a huge opportunity, right? Like the, the population of people is organs of magnitude. Was it like more than, what is it? Uh, 1.4 billion people live in India. And then in China, it's sort of comparable as well in terms of just the sheer volume of people and this rising middle class that's happening. So that's my view on the India stuff to tie that up. But moving into China, I mean, look, China and ByteDance, which is an AI company headquartered in China, um, and it's run, run by Chinese people. They gave us TikTok, one of the most successful social media platforms that's happening right now. I mean, they came in out of nowhere and in the span of four years and completely di disrupted uh, Meta, Facebook, Instagram, um, and then, you know, almost all other so social media platforms. And they did it in a really unique way. I mean, uh, they had a radically new and innovative way on social media, native to video, vertical scrolling on video. And then the ability to integrate virality by um, giving users the ability to export content, which is unique, and sharing that out into different um, social media platforms, that is innovation. Now, that is pure change in the social media landscape. And so I just don't think we can discount Asia. I think, you know, uh, US-centric MarTech is probably a thing of the past. It's going from West to East. I don't know if you're seeing that as well, Scott, but I think TikTok is an interesting one. It's probably the most notable right now. Yeah. Okay. So this is where, uh, there's a part of me that agrees with you and a part of me that, yeah, I just don't see it. The part of me that agrees with you hundred percent on, uh, ByteDance with TikTok, specifically with TikTok, because ByteDance has a lot of other businesses, not all of which are very well known outside of China. Um, you know, uh, but you could also put WeChat as another one of these platforms, you know? Um, so I think this idea of saying like, yes, China has created some game changing global platforms, social media wise hundred percent with you. Again, I'll push back like the MarTech stat, the software that companies actually buy to run marketing inside their organization, not platforms they're connecting with, you know, on, uh, you know, consumers, the things they're using to run their business. What Chinese MarTech products are you seeing in Western stacks? Almost none of them. Uh, and so that's my point. I was, I agree with you there in that, uh, I don't see, I see a lot of Indian companies, um, as we talked about before that are, um, building MarTech. And, um, I think there's a sort of a Western, um, very Western perspective in from MarTech founding perspective out of India, which is, yeah, we go, our big market is the U S. Um, you know, we put a headquarters in the U S if we're, if we're launching out of India, you know? Um, and so I think that the, that connection, um, culturally and politically is actually really quite strong between India and U S. Um, but. Yeah, I don't see a lot of Chinese MarTech companies um, because I think it, I think the political landscape is just so different. I mean, one great example here with TikTok is that uh, TikTok is the Western version of ByteDance native Chinese social media app, which looks exactly the same. So they've got two social media apps that do exactly the, exactly the same thing. One is TikTok and one is a Chinese native one. And why do they do that? Well, yeah, uh, the Chinese government is very, very constraining. I mean, you probably saw in the news, I think it was last year where they threw Jack Ma into prison from Alibaba because Alibaba was becoming the next Amazon, a big global company. And so I think the political environment, you know, India is more democratic. India is more open in terms of borders and trade. And most importantly, 
Um, they're most, they, they are very open in terms of internet connectivity, whereas China is very closed as a country. Um, even though they obviously they have global influence, um, technology wise, uh, there's a real constraint there in terms of how global you can actually take some of these MarTech startups. So I actually think that's what my big bet is on India actually, is because it's a better environment, um, for technologies to grow and the startups to launch and actually connect with the broader world. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Like I can today go through a bunch of MarTech stacks of major companies and I can point out to you the software that they're using, uh, that comes from Indian companies. Um, I'm not sure they would always recognize that, but that's okay. I'm a MarTech nerd. Of course I would know that stuff. Um, and at some level, right, it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter to the business mm -hmm. people. They're picking the best software, you know, mm -hmm. fit for purpose. I love it. China though. Yeah. It's like, you know, these, I mean, I've. Again, I've talked to folks in China, like there's a, a group, I don't want to have it handy, but like they, they do a MarTech map in China and it's got hundreds of different products and all these different <laughs> things, you know, but there is clearly a very real barrier between, you know, uh, Western MarTech, um, you know, uh, being adopted in China and, you know, Chinese, uh, you know, MarTech being adopted, you know, outside of China. And again, to your point, maybe some of that's just the political realities. Um, but I don't know, call me, uh, you know, uh, John Lennon, you know, imagine, uh, <laughs> optimist, but you know, at some point you would feel like there, there is just so much, I mean, there's so many smart people, you know, who are like doing so much innovation that Boy, I would love for a lot of reasons there to be a greater cross-pollination uh, between, yeah, uh, you know, MarTech creators, uh, you know, in China and MarTech creators in the rest of the world. And I don't know, uh, can we aspire to get there uh, uh, in our lifetime? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, uh, you know, people in the tech sector in out of China work just as hard as people in the U.S. who work in the tech sector. I mean, you know, Jack Ma set this rule of um, uh, 996. Not, uh, it was at 996, I think it was, where you work six days a week, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., basically. And that's just normal, right? So you got people that are working really hard, long hours in some of these tech companies. Um, uh, funny story, actually, um, I, was, I actually just came back from Singapore a few weeks ago, and I went and joined um, Tech Week Singapore there at Big Data and AI World. And uh, Scott, I completely agree with you that like when I was there, it was overwhelming. It was two levels. Uh, there are Marina Bay Sands. There was... 30,000 people over two days. There were hundreds of vendors, 10 different stages for 10 different topics and technology companies that I've never even seen before, um, after spending all this time researching. And my reflection of that was, wow, I really don't know much about this part of the world. I mean, perhaps this episode is everything we don't know about that part of the world in terms of MarTech, but, um, but my view is that, well, my, one story that came out of that, I sat down with, the, I was just sitting, um, and catching up on emails and then a guy sat next to me and he worked for this company for, called Maloco. Maloco is a, um, it, a ad tech network as a set service. So think of like retail media, they build the software for you. They use AI to programmatically drive advertising, but they'll go to a marketplace, an e-commerce, um, company, and then they'll plug that software on to drive a whole new revenue stream for that company. And that technology blew my mind. I was like, whoa, that's incredible. Like it's a whole retail media network, a whole new revenue stream. That's extremely low margin for e-commerce businesses. Um, you know, I found that completely fascinating, but as I got to know the guy a little bit more and we were talking, he said, well, uh, you know, we were working, um, and obviously Alibaba was, was in India, 
for a long time. And I was working with that team to bring Alibaba to India. Alibaba is the Chinese um, e-commerce platform. But when Flipkart in India started to really take off, the Indian government completely cut India out of, um, out of India uh, and um, they couldn't function. So he actually lost his job and then he started working in this new company. And, you know, you can see there's all these massive titanic shifts, you know, it's like the massive, you know, mar the, these huge platforms that are really duking it out for su supremacy in different parts of Asia. But you never hear about that stuff. I mean, you know, we hear so much about Meta and Google and all the other big platforms, but you don't hear a lot about these massive shifts in, um, in technology. But that's kind of where my head's at is, well, I, I just think that there's so much to explore there. Uh, and I do think that I'm very bullish. That's going to be a very important locale of innovation in MarTech. Uh, I'm definitely convinced of that at this point. Um, I'm, I remain very curious to see how it, uh, evolves. Um, you know, again, this is the, um, you know, the, uh, the, the great app explosion, uh, that we see, uh, everywhere. Um, and it's hard to imagine that there's any country in the world that is, you know, going to be immune from uh entrepreneurs who are seeking to uh, come up with the next idea and uh software is the the way in which we create uh so many of these ideas in a digital world so um i would say uh yeah i'm uh, bullish uh, on what will come but actually so so uh, i know we're boy we could go on this topic uh, in so many different directions but i wonder in the interest of time do we close out with like a question for our audience like what do we what do you want to ask them yeah, I think my, my question to the audience, um, is if you're building MarTech out of Asia, if you're living in Singapore, India, Indonesia, China, um, you know, other parts of Southeast Asia, we want to hear from you. Um, what are you working on? What MarTech product, what software are you building? Um, you can drop into the comments in YouTube. You can drop into the LinkedIn and uh, Twitter posts as we, as we post them out. And there'll be links in the show notes for those things as well. But we want to know, what are you working on? We're going to shout out a few with our next episode uh, next week, but we would love to see some great founders uh, shouting out their products. I'm looking forward to that. All right. Well, listen, thanks for joining us for another big week in MarTech. Uh, don't miss an episode by subscribing at uh, bigmartech.com and go do big thing. Juan and I are rooting for you.